Hello, my name is Philip Camilla, and today we're going to have a conversation beyond science and religion. Breaking new ground in thinking, exploring the outer limits of what we know about the world and ourselves, unhindered by common beliefs and perceptions. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion, taking on subjects from the Big Bang, the multiverse, and evolution to the supernatural and the new rising consciousness. This is where scientists, philosophers, New Agers, and spiritualists come together to discuss where this world may be heading. Now here's your host, lawyer, philosopher, and the author of The Collapse of Materialism, Philip Camella. Today's show is about integration, the integration of the spiritual and the practical, work and play, the high and the low, the inner and the outer. It's also about another kind of integration, maybe a bigger kind of integration. And this is the integration of modern ideas of spirituality with the real world, the integration of spirituality into the mainstream to a point perhaps where we stop calling it spirituality and we just start calling it the normal way to act. And that's the point where we dispense with labels and we start really integrating some of these spiritual principles into our daily work life and our daily home life. Now today's guest is Linda Ferguson, the author of The Path for Greatness, Work as Spiritual Service, and the new book, Staying Grounded in Shifting Sand, Awakening Soul Consciousness for the New Millennium. She has a master's in social psychology and a PhD in management from Indiana University. She also writes a weekly blog on spirituality and work and is a seasoned trainer and facilitator. She's got a lot going on and we'll find out more about it. Linda, welcome to the show. Good to be here. Okay, well, I I really think that having somebody like you on the show is a great thing because as I've said in the past on this show, I tend to talk a lot about theory and every so often uh, it's the importance of bringing these principles down to earth and integrating them into our real lives becomes more and more important because I, as you said before we started this interview, these principles may not mean a whole lot unless they're integrated. So before we get into how to actually do this, I think it might be helpful for the listeners to know a little bit about you, Linda, because you have both a master's and a PhD from Indiana University. And I think one of the things that appeals to me about your background is that you're coming at it from, you have an academic background, but yet you've set, you've extended yourself to these more spiritual principles. Can you just explain a little bit about how you got to where you're at with your thinking about spirituality? And you only have five, <laughs> five, five, five words or less for that answer. No, let's, let's, yeah, let's so, just try to yeah, set the tr- table a little bit here first. Sure, so why don't you sure. talk about so that? So when I was in graduate school, as you mentioned at IU, I was in a doctoral program and very much at the time I didn't even believe in God. I was, I was very much an atheist. I came from a very scientific humanist household. When I was at IU, I attended a church there and the minister did a sermon that really was pivotal in my in my life, in my transformation. And the sermon was called The Many Names for God. In that sermon she talked about God in so many different ways, the spirit of life, the the source of creation, the the mystery and wonder of of the world that we live in and in her rephrasing of what God is I as an atheist I thought well if that's what God could be well yeah I I get that I can you know I can believe in God if that's what it is so that really truly that sermon absolutely um, expanded my way of thinking just even about this notion of God so that started me on a 20-year journey of exploring many different paths, mostly mystical paths. I, I did the, followed Sufism and the dances of the universal peace. I studied the Kabbalah. I currently do, and I have been for many years, Native American ceremony, uh, sweat lodges, uh, medicine wheel ceremonies, and the like. So for me, my journey really is one of 
not believing in anything beyond just our our daily human experiences to seeing that God truly is everywhere. Yeah, that I think that is really what is happening out there because what what happens I think in our modern mindset is that we tend to create what I would call a false dichotomy uh, as exemplified by the intelligent design versus evolution debate where yep. we where we tend to sort of define God f- from a historic orthodox literal standpoint and an Abrahamic one in right. our culture right 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 exactly exactly <clears throat> and it's only when you start sort of taking a different perspective on it and reframing it that doors start opening I think that's that is a really interesting way to approach this because you know again it, it just goes to show you that the doors can be open for anybody exactly. you know I mean coming from where you were uh, from the from I, I'm gonna call it the Orthodox scientific Western mindset mm-hmm. to to opening that door I think is is very significant okay so Again, you you got a degree in uh, social psychology and mm-hmm. in management. And so when did you start using these spiritual principles uh, in your in your work? That happened certainly after graduate school, maybe about five years later when I was really starting to study some of these different paths and felt that my work life, the nine to five, you know, work week, I was, I had kind of one mindset or one persona. And then on the weekends, as I was exploring these spiritual paths, I I felt like I really was shifting into being this other way of thinking and looking at the world. And it just became really clear to me that not only was that not particularly helpful for me, but I didn't want to live that way. Mm -hmm. So for me, it became important to find ways to integrate my nine to five world and my spiritual path, which is how that first book evolved, the the path for greatness work as spiritual service. I started to see that that you know from my belief system that God truly was everywhere and and it's this this um, it's it is the divine mystery as one way of thinking about about God. So if we think of the divine mystery being everywhere and as we're stepping into it and 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 living it, then why not live it at work? I mean, yeah. why should there be any bound? Why does nine to five, you know, set up one set of, of boundaries for us where that wouldn't happen? And it, be, it was just so clear to me that that was a ludicrous, as you say, it was a false dichotomy. So for me, it was then, all right, so if our work life can absolutely be where the divine is expressed, where I, as an expression of the divine, exist, how do I then carry that into my work how do I live that in my work and that was really why I felt so compelled to write the very the first book yeah the I think that this is really the one of the challenges of our time and we sort of have two things two lines hopefully at some point they're going to intersect and probably more lines (laughs) than two but one of them is rising to a better understanding of spirit God the one mind all this stuff but also how to align that rise in consciousness with with our own with our own lives and every time i i read uh, a book like yours i think about my own profession which is as a lawyer and and about once every month or six months i tell myself i'm going to start practicing zen law (laughs) which is which is a way which is some way uh, of approaching things so that nothing bothers you and mm. so that you're all ultimately calm and it is, a, it is it's an incredible challenge i really think that you know maybe i would like to have somebody uh i would like to have you write an article about how to practice maybe you've done this maybe you've taught yeah. lawyers <laughs> maybe this is this would be great that's what the blog is for this, the this spirit is, at work I, blog. Should, I, I need i need i need to read that blog because i think that this this is one of the um this is this is one of the great challenges uh because we we still have to lead our normal lives you know i mean you you have you you quote uh, a book title which i had not heard of it's something like uh 
uh, awaken to earth, but do the laundry or whatever. There was something about oh, doing yeah. the laundry. I mean, when you're when you're when you're done with this rising consciousness, you still have to empty the dishwasher. Right after the ecstasy, the laundry. <laughs> right after the, the ecstasy, the laundry. Yeah, right. uh, so so what what kind of? I mean, we're we're sort of jumping around here a little bit. What kind of sure. what kind of tips? <laughs> what kind of tips do you give people? Uh, who, those who have not read your blog or or, right. or gone to your sessions. What kind of what kind of tips do you give people who have like uh, stressful jobs, which may be about eighty percent of the American sure. population? What what kind of stuff do you tell them? So let me. T I'll give one concrete, concrete tip now, but I also then want to tell you about how I reframe it for people because most of the time it's in the reframing okay. that really helps people. Okay. So one simple tip, obviously, is is through the breath, and I love Thich Nhat Hans work of simple breathing so if you're feeling stressed at work taking 10 seconds and on the in breath you say breathing in I calm my body breathing out I smile hmm. breathing in I calm my body breathing out I smile yeah that's good that is a good so, one. So in those very simple, mundane activities that we have, we bring our awareness back to our breath. We bring our awareness back to our inner self. We bring our awareness back to that place of peace and calm within us. And then from that place, we can move out into our world. And I could probably talk 30 minutes just on that one topic. <clears throat> but what I want to do is just, again, this is a little bit of the reframe that I think could be most valuable for your listeners. So when I was doing my book tours for my first book about spirituality at work, people often said, well, why use the word spiritual, right? Because a lot of people in their minds, they equate spirituality and religion, and then you get the whole issues of religion at work, and that turns people off, people are really afraid of it, etc. And I said, okay, so let's just take that word off the table. And now I do an exercise with them. So I get in front of a, a flip chart or, or a, a whiteboard and I say, all right, when you've had a spiritual experience at any time in your life, what words would you use to describe that? And I get the audience to list, and usually it's pretty easy, 30, 40, 50 words of what that experience is for them. Peace, compassion, calm, joy, ecstasy, um, wonder, uh, you know, all of those words that we think of when we think about spirituality. And as we list these words up, then I have them look at that and I say, how many of you would want to work in a place where these words describe where you're working? Yeah. yeah now, I can tell you, everybody raises their hand, right? Yeah, yeah. So the question becomes, we don't even have to use the word spiritual or spirituality. How do you create a workplace and and each one of us have to do it right we're all called to do it it's not about HR doing it. it's not about your boss or the CEO or the CFO or whoever it's about how do each of us show up to our work from that place of compassion from that place of awareness from that place of joy we each bring that to our work and as we do that we help shift the dynamics and the the energy if you will of our workplace Yes, I, I, I think you're on to I think you're on to something because we are very much a world of labels, <laughs> and the the whole thing be, between spirituality and religion, and then uh, the intelligent design movement. I'm mentioning that because I'm just about done with an article on updating that debate, and and it's one of the key how can I put this, examples of the dichotomies that we find ourselves into. But the thing is, is that we are so used to using labels, for example, evolution. Everybody thinks that evolution is right, uh, because if you don't believe in evolution, then you're somehow, that, then you're really a primitive person, uh, just like Darwin. Everyone thinks that Darwin's right, even though most people don't understand what even Darwin said, much less what his theory talks about. But the point here is that if we can bring some of this stuff down to earth and stop using labels, uh, that that means to me that we have truly integrated this stuff. Mm -hmm. Now, now let me add something else here that I think is extremely important for folks to to understand, and that is that I think that there is a alignment between this notion of getting in the flow between following your purpose and all that stuff 
and being spiritual because once you are in the flow you don't need to talk about spirituality Mm -hmm. because you're naturally doing it you're naturally Mm -hmm. in that mode and and so so for me what what the goal is is to be in that flow be in that that mindset of wonder of appreciation of gratitude of taking a broad view trying to be in that mode as constantly as possible that to me is what the goal ultimately is so what do you what do you think about that yes i would say i salute that as we're opening up to that flow uh, rather than getting mired in the pettiness which is often what breaks the flow we're right. mired in our judgments we're mired in our resentments we're mired in the the petty comparisons oh she got this I didn't right? Right, right all of that breaks us from being in that flow and whether you want to talk about that flow of being the flow of our natural talents or the flow of of God consciousness God awareness coming through us whatever whatever that is for you or for the the listener it's how do you stay connected to it as opposed to getting off track with ego and and you know all the little noogly things that happen in our day-to-day life that pulls us away from that right and I think that uh, one thing that that I do that I've learned over time is that I get off that path all of the time (laughs) I get off that path all of the time but as I've gotten older, I've gotten back on the path faster. Exactly. That's, that's, sort of, that's sort of where, that's the best I can do right now. This is Philip Camella. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. I'm speaking with Linda Ferguson, the author of the new book, Staying Grounded in Shifting Sand. And we're talking about integrating some of these spiritual ideas into the real world. Now, in your, in your book, you have all sorts of great quotes, and I, I wrote down a bunch of them, and I'd like to have you just expand upon them because, uh, because I, I have because we have you here, and we could we have the author, and we could get more information. But also, I think these little these these phrases mean so much, and it's helpful to sort of unwrap them a little bit. Uh, here's one uh, that is one of my favorites. You say that your physical world is an outgrowth of your inner spiritual world. Mm-hmm. Can you elaborate upon that a little bit? Sure. So in, in going back to the example I gave earlier, you're at work, you're stressed out, <clears throat> you're getting annoyed about all the noogly things that are happening, your inner world's in turmoil. You're not in the flow. And so as you return to that flow, whether that's through breath work, whether that's through meditation, whether that's through a mantra, whether that's to listening to some calming, soothing music, in whatever way that you're going to be able to get back into that flow, when you're in that flow, how you respond to others, how do you respond to crises that come up, how do you respond to questions of your coworkers? you're going to respond in a very different way. You're going to respond from a place of balance, from a place of calm, from a place of ease. So our outer world does reflect what's going on inside us. Yes, I, th- of, yes, I think that that, I think, I'm, I'm sorry, go ahead. I, uh, go well, ahead. just one of my favorite uh, tools that I use, I teach on this all the time, is that you change your world from the inside out. And that's so important because so many of us, and I'm as guilty as the next person, I was absolutely raised that if I, if I work harder, if I was smarter, if I did better at school, if I did all of these sort of external focused things, then my world would turn out in a certain way. And now I've gotten to a place where I see, yeah, I mean, I do need to work hard and I, and I need to use my talents and those kinds of things. But if things aren't working in my outer world, in my relationships or in my work or my home or anything, I, the first thing I do now is I turn inward and I say, all right, what's going on within me that's creating this chaos or that's got this block or this barrier that I'm bumping up against? And when I can shift what's going on within me, I can tell you almost instantaneously I see the effect in my outer world. Yeah, I think that is probably one of the ten great truths of our modern age that we are just starting to appreciate and of course the eastern philosophers 
uh, and the Eastern mystics knew that thousands of years ago, and not only the Eastern ones, but mystics throughout the ages. But we're starting to understand the truth of that, not only for mental health, I mean, but for physical health. Right. And, and that, that is what's so exciting, I think, about the time that we're in. Because, uh, you know, Linda, my, my thing is that I think that there needs to be an integration of science and spirituality uh, or the logical and the emotional or the logical and the spiritual because that's the only way that we truly integrate ourselves and the world into into this unity. So I'm all Absolutely. about I'm all about putting them together and when you start appreciating that the inner does affect the outer when it becomes real to you. I think that becomes the 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 first step. I I tell people that if you look at, at the world you you're living right now where you're sitting, where you're driving, whatever you're doing, that is the world that you've chosen. Chosen. That is that is where where you are is based upon the decisions you've made, and you can change that by only one place, by going to only one place, and that is the inner. You have mm-hmm. to do it from the inner. So I think that that is extremely powerful, and it's something that I hope is being. As I, as, as I said earlier, being integrated more uh, into the mainstream academic community. Yeah, and I would say one of the bridges that's really been helpful for me, both in my own journey and as I talk to groups and, and particularly in the corporate world, the bridge is the, the field of emotional intelligence. Yeah. Because in that, in that, when you really understand that, you, you can get into the science, you can get into the biochemicals of the brain and all that kind of stuff, the amygdala hijacking and everything. The piece that's really important for me that is this bridge is that when we truly understand that it's about being self-aware, that self-awareness of what is happening with us when our emotions come up, how do we regulate and control that? How do we use our emotions wisely? And empathy, which is another huge component of emotional intelligence, is another way of us connecting then with others. So we can use just the simple tool of emotional intelligence as a way to bridge the science and the spirituality of that self-awareness piece and dialing back into ourselves so that we change, again, we change our life from the inside out. Yeah, you're, you're, you're so right, I think, and that is one of the, it's, it's like we're relearning these lessons that we knew to be true, such as, mm-hmm. such as before you get angry, you know, take a deep breath or walk right. around the block right. or something yeah. and, and channel, you know, make sure that you use your emotions wisely. The, the same approach, though, can be applied on a much different level, which, which is understanding what our true nature is. And once, once you do that, as you say, you become more deeply grounded. Mm-hmm. And I think that you, we, we have a greater opportunity to control what we're doing. Now, the other, a bunch of other things in your book I want to talk about because, again, you, you, you touched upon a lot of my favorite topics and ideas. You talk about a paradigm shift. Mm-hmm. What, what, what do you mean by a paradigm shift? What are we shifting from and to? Yeah. So that phrase paradigm shift was a, a, a wonderful phrase I learned in graduate school. When we, <laughs> yeah. we studied extensively the history and philosophy of science in yeah. Thomas Kuhn's book, yeah. The uh, Revolutions That Take Place When We Have These Paradigm Shifts. So paradigms are simply a worldview. And you can study throughout history, right, certain classic worldviews that started to crumble around the edges. The most famous one probably is that the earth was the center and the you know, the sun spinned around us, that when the when that worldview cracks around the edges till finally you can no longer hold that worldview anymore, you have to replace it with another way of looking, that's the paradigm shift. So the paradigm shift that we're in now is going back to what we were talking about earlier, is that we do change our world from the inside out. That's a huge paradigm shift. Understanding that it's not about changing another person. It's not about changing how somebody else behaves, 
It's about really dialing into how am I feeling? What am I needing? What are my judgments? How am I not being forgiving? How can I be more compassionate? When we really dial into that, that paradigm change is that my life will change as I change, and it's up to me to do it. And as I do that better and better, I come to my life differently. My life changes. That's a that's a significant paradigm change. Yes, uh, yes, I agree with that. But I think that as a society, we need to move beyond the individual to the many or to the culture at large. When you look out at the world, for example, an example would be the TV evangelists, where they're preaching the same messages that were taught thousands of years ago as being the message from God, you know, from, from the old style God overhead in the Western sense. And the mainstream media is still preaching this this dichotomy that we that I mentioned earlier so, but I'm I'm optimistic however that with the number of people doing what you're doing what I'm doing and so many other people are on the same sort of trajectory that eventually there is going to be a a, a the real paradigm shift it's not just going to be an individual paradigm shift. It's going to be a cultural paradigm shift. Well, one, I mean, I'll go even macro with you. I think the other huge paradigm shift that we're getting to, again, going back to science, is really understanding, I mean, really getting how it's, it plays out in our day-to-day life, that everything is energy. Everything is energy. Yeah. It's not just our phys- not just looking at our desk and our floor and our car and understanding that between all of those molecules, there's nothing but energy bouncing around. That when we get that there's nothing but energy that's truly the flow and the source of, of all that is in the physical, then we dial into how do I then tap into that energy and how do I shift that energy again in my own life that then shifts that energy that's going to affect somebody else. And best example I can give is if you walk into a room when you know that there are two people about to have an argument, you feel the energy. Right. It's palpable. Yep. And when you can go in there and make a joke, lighten it up, do something else, give somebody a hug, right? right. You you shift you literally shift the energy. Yes. So the paradigm shift truly, the next big paradigm and I, this is why I was very intentional about titling my book about um, awakening soul conscious in the new millennium because in this millennium we are really going to be understanding how energy works in our day-to-day life and how we control our energy and how we can shift energy that will significantly shift what's happening around us. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because it gives me a chance to be very radical uh, because we're very close to the, the radical position which is that the energy that science tells us exists is an energy outside of us. That's the energy that, I'm uh, speaking for myself now, that I'm talking about, I think you're talking about, but I'm talking about is the energy inside of us. Yep. And so even if science, and we go back to Einstein's e equals mc squared equation, energy equals the speed of light squared times mass, Mm-hmm. that even he thought that the universe was essentially condensed energy, which is yep. another way to put it. Yep. But the, the paradigm shift is that if we appreciate that this energy is inside of, inside of us, that we are the source of the energy, now we are laying down the, fo- the foundation for a real paradigm shift because we are we are the source of the energy. So. I'm gonna I'm gonna tweak what you're saying in one bit, which is that we're the conduit of mm. that energy. I don't think we create the energy. Again, in physics, energy can neither be created nor destroyed. It can only change its form. So as we are the conduit, we're the and, and this is where my more mystical than way comes in, the shamanic work particularly, I I was very fortunate to hear a Native American medicine man fairly early on in my studies of 
of shamanic work. And he talked about becoming a hollow bone through which spirit may blow. Yeah, that's good. So as I see my physical body, as I see my life, as I see my mental way of being, when I can really connect with that sense of I become this hollow bone through which spirit may blow, and you can, in which I do interchangeably, I will then say the hollow bone through which energy may flow. Now it's a matter of how can I be a conduit of the energy that's flowing rather than closing it down, which is what I'm going to do when I'm angry or judgmental or all those other things we talked about. And I can also shift the vibrations of that energy by connecting with a higher vibration such as love, such as gratitude, such as joy, such as compassion. Now as I'm shifting that energy, raising that energy, becoming the conduit of that energy, again, I'm going to not only affect my own body and my own life, but I'm going to affect those around me, they're going to immediately feel that shift of energy. Well, I think what's interesting about this particular topic is that to me, this is a subject matter for what I would call a new science, because we don't really know uh, how deep the energy goes, Mm -hmm. because in some ways, we are saying the same thing. I don't really know the source of the energy as as I, that that's like saying what's the source of God right I mean right. We, I mean you really don't know the the Hindus said that the self Atman is laid over Brahman and we are we are at the base of the self is God and I'm I'm good with that that's that makes that makes perfect sense to me but the extent we can control the source or re-energize the source or direct the source is something mm-hmm. that is is a matter of experimentation as far mm-hmm. as I'm concerned and absolutely it, it's a matter of like well how far can you go and what <laughs> and what are the limits and, sure. and that's what makes it a lot of fun and in my workshops I I share lots of stories of how I or others have used these ideas and I I'm all about challenging and inviting my audience and I would do the same with your listeners Demonstrate it for yourself. Yeah. Don't just take my word for it. Use use some of the tools, particularly the tools in my book and and others that are around here. Use these tools and see how it demonstrates and shows up in your life. Because as you do this more and more and more, and you see more and more demonstrations, it's it's undeniable. You're like, well, of course it works this way. And so for me, it's no problem for me talking about this because I've seen it demonstrated repeatedly. Mm-hmm. I know this stuff works. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you as your scientific perspective, if we're going to take the empirical approach, right, show, show me, then it's about using the tools, demonstrating it in your own life, inviting other people to use the tools, invite it in their life, and there's the evidence. It, it will show up. Yeah, that's great. This is Philip Camella. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. I'm speaking with Linda Ferguson, the author of Staying Grounded in Shifting Sand, Awakening So Consciousness, for the new millennium and we're talking about integrating this thing called spirituality into our daily lives. Now you mentioned uh, Linda that during your workshops you've seen demonstrations of these principles. Why don't you give us an example of one? So I do a workshop on tools for manifesting (laughs) which is a bit what we're talking about here. What, What are some practical tools that you can use to to control the flow of the energy, to uh, direct what's happening in your life in a way that uh, you would like it to go. And I'm a very big believer in setting intentions. And then it's not just intentions, but it's then how are you living your life true to those intentions. So a perfect example, and I, I can just share so many stories on this one. Let's say you're disappointed because your spouse or a colleague doesn't do something that you want them to do. So you can either get angry or you can set your intention of, you know what, I know this is going to get resolved in some way by the end of the day. That's your intention, right? right? Now, how are you going to go about living out and staying true to that intention? As you're looking for ways to make this situation get resolved, as you're opening up to new opportunities and you're staying open to the universe, stepping in, it's you define the what and you somewhat let go of the how. 
and you say, I know this is going to work out. I don't necessarily know all of how it's going to work out, but I trust that it will. And then you do your best to make things work out. By the end of the day, you'll be amazed at the different kind of a relationship you're going to have with your spouse or your coworker. Yeah, that's, that's just a really practical, simple demonstration of it. Yeah, I, that's a that's a great example that I I use all the time. Not necessarily with my with my spouse, but for it for these intractable problems. Uh, and one of the one of the messages or lessons I've learned is that it is impossible for me to write a specific script on how a problem is going to get solved. Let's suppose that someone's not calling you back, that, uh, that you can't complete an assignment unless, unless this person calls you back. Okay? And mm-hmm. so you know, to write out this long script and you, know, you meditate and all this stuff supposed to happen, it never happens that way. It never, <laughs> ever, it, that, that never works. And so your approach, where you sort of look at the end and you sort of let, let the universe figure it out, is really I think it's a, it's a lot more fun. It's a lot more in, it's a lot more interesting because you don't yeah. have to go through all the de- One of my favorite <laughs> phrases as I do this work is I can't wait to see how spirit works this one out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's sort of like <laughs> Then you come to it from that place of wonder and joy and mystery of wow, this is going to be cool. This will be a neat one to see how it works out. Yeah. Well, you know, I on that point and we've touched upon it a number of times already in this conversation, but the one constant that I have noticed throughout doing this show is that the the actual empirical proof of of whether these things are true or whether we're all just nuts is <laughs> is is the is the personal experiences that they work for you mm. and uh, because that's something that cannot be denied if it if it works for you and you start and you start feeling harmonious or you start feeling better and you and things start opening up then then it can it has to be true and to me uh Linda I think that this paradigm shift thing that that I personally think is inevitable uh is going to it's inevitable because we are seeing a natural awakening and on that score, I like you to talk a little bit about um, the awakened path. Now, maybe we've already touched upon <laughs> it. We probably have, but you use the term awakened path uh, in your book a number of times. And is, is this what you mean, or, or, or why don't you put in your own words? Sure. So the awakened path truly is part of this paradigm shift that there is more operating in our world than just this three-dimensional world, right? It's not right. just about taking the hammer, hitting the nail, and now I've built a box. It's it's about understanding that that energy does flow. And as we're tapping into that energy, as we're tapping into the flow, other things can materialize. Other things can can form that we could maybe have never imagined. So the awakening is stepping beyond the 3D, awakening to our own inner flow, our own inner God consciousness, if you will, remembering, remembering that we are this hollow bone through which spirit may blow. That's the important piece. Now, some people get their awakening through car accidents, through cancer, through addictions. There's all sorts of ways we can have our way through divorce. That was a big one for me. So we get our awakening. I I talk about in my book of the, we get this cosmic two by four that slaps us across the head. Hmm. Uh, I, September 11th, I think was a huge awakening for a lot of people. Whether that awakening happens in our individual life, in our collective life, you talked about the collective, right? So tsunamis, earthquakes, September 11th, we are getting these calls for awakening. We can either awaken, we can either say, okay, there's something bigger here going on here. Let me, so let me see how I can step up my game so I can connect with that bigger energy, that bigger life force. Or I can keep with my head in the sand and I can keep being asleep and I can keep doing things in that old paradigm 3D. Let me just keep hitting this nail with this hammer and see if I can make something you know, be created here. We have that choice. And my choice now, and I talk about this phrase in my book, to may my lessons come more gently. Yeah. 
I don't need those big awakenings anymore. <laughs> yeah. It's like I might forget, I might slumber on any kind of a day-to-day experience, and then it's like, oh, right, gratitude. Mm, yeah, that's now letting me dial back into who am I as a conscious creator, who am I as being the flow of the energy. I have a choice. I can either be angry and upset or I can stay open and be in a place of greater compassion and understanding. So so we forget and we remember. We, we fall asleep and we get awakened. And I think that that's that daily... Um, challenge for all of us is to stay in that flow and not forget and not fall asleep again. Uh, and and sage and mystics throughout the ages have used this language. Yeah, I think that the the path metaphor is one of the best ones because when somebody is younger, naive, it, it's easier to get off the path and. It, it's it may take a great shaking or a, a big lesson to get him or her back on the track but over time I like your notion of gentle lessons because we start needing just nudges mm-hmm. as opposed to slaps across the face right. I, mean, I think that I think that is really good but it, it, it is a chat people if this is this is, again me 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 talking this is a big challenge life is not easy i mean on on multiple levels because we have to me so many distractions and so many pressures and so many stresses but and this is why this takes work Mm -hmm. this is not something you just you know that's why they call it spiritual practice (laughs) yeah 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 yeah, exactly but it's also it takes work but you know it's also something that what's what's beautiful about it is that it's within your control and Absolutely. everybody can do it. It's yep. it's a matter of sort of breaking down some of the doubts and and yeah. false beliefs we've we've uh, built up over time. I I like your your phrase about living living simultaneously in the three dimensional realm and the metaphysical realm, right. which is what you're saying there. I, yeah. I really think that that is that is really cool. Um, you know, to me, I read that to say that you sort of have to interweave the two yes. uh, and and this is all part of of this bringing down to earth um, spirituality into our lives now I don't want to um, go uh, through this interview without asking for your own distinction between religion and spirituality because that these are two terms that can easily be confused Right. And a lot of people have their own spin on it, but why don't you sure. t- tell us how you think? Sure. This. So religion generally defined, and certainly how I think of it is, are those specific practices, the specific teachings, the specific rituals that re- religion to bind together, that brings together people of a same faith, right? Same faith right. tradition. And you're going to tell their faith tradition by those rituals, and those practices, etc. Where spirituality, again, as I go back to the story I said earlier, those spiritual experiences, those sort of life awakening experiences can happen in so many different ways. It's about that, the opening up to the divine, to the mystery, to the flow, to the greater expansiveness of who we are. That to me is is the spirituality of life. It's the juice of life. It's not a particular teaching or a particular ritual or a particular particular prayer that's spoken. Yes. Oh, yes. I. That's something that we tend to forget with the Western mindset that scientists themselves, I believe, are spiritual, but they get their kicks from the harmony of nature. Mm. One of one of the there's been a lot of um, writing on this recently. Even I, I talk about Richard Dawkins a lot. You know, Richard Dawkins being the staunch Darwinian materialist, atheist, etc. But his last book was called The Magic of Reality, hmm. and he talks about indeed how nature is magical, and isn't it isn't it amazing this wondrous world that evolution has created? Well, I could agree with with a lot of that. The you know the problem I would have is that I think there's an underappreciation of the magic. Mm. But the point is is that we we tend to think that 
to be scientific, one needs to drain the wonder out of the world. And I don't, I think that that is something that, that hopefully there's going to be a backlash against because we, we all are looking at the same place. Some of us attribute the wonder to the laws of nature. Some of them, some of us attribute it to God. Some of it to this source or the one mind, the one consciousness. This is Philip Camella. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. I'm speaking with Linda Ferguson, the author of Staying Grounded in Shifting Sand, and we are delving into some of these practical tips and lessons about integrating spirituality into the real world. And speaking about the real world, I want to talk about money a little bit here because <laughs> because this is, this is something where... Um, some people would think this is an oxymoron, bringing up <laughs> bringing up spirituality, and money on the same on the same show. But I thought you did a very good job of talking about where money fits in, and so I'd like to have you you just say a few things about what you've learned about where money and spirituality sort of fit in, and and what you could tell folks about how to change their perception of money. Sure. So I this does ring true for me because I, as you said, I got my PhD in, in management and I my dissertation actually was on business ethics and whistleblowing. So oh. to me, the connection between money and spirituality is, is very close, quite frankly. And I really start out with the premise that every business transaction, every money transaction is ultimately a transaction of trust. Yeah that if I'm going to give you money for a service or a product, I am trusting that what you give me in exchange is what I want or what we've agreed on. So so just that in and of itself is, is a connection. It, it's not about the money per se, it's about the trust that you and I have as we do this transaction and this exchange. And I have a marvelous story in my book about being in Nepal <laughs> where I bought a bus ticket and right. the bus driver, when I asked at the end, um, will this bus get me to where I'm going? He said, Allah providing. <laughs> right. <That's laughs> right. Encouraging. And so, I mean, I could just, that's a, just a wonderful story I could expand on. So, so let's start at this premise that it's not about money per se. It's about the exchange that we're making. And so that exchange is one of trust. That exchange is based on mutual understanding. That exchange is based on a set of shared values. And I talk about that in my book as well. That in classic economics, and economics is really about utility, the things that we value. And so we talk about instead of maximizing shareholder wealth, oh, the original ideas of this were not maximizing shareholder wealth. It was about maximizing things that we value. So if we take those as our starting points, money then is an exchange of things that we value. Okay, now we've got a different conversation that, that we have going on here. So now let's, let's unpack that a little bit. What are those things that we value? Ultimately, when we're going into this new paradigm and we understand that the things that we're exchanging is an exchange of energy with one another. I'm going to give you something and you're going to feel good about it or maybe you're going to feel bad about it. There's some energy that's being exchanged here. Now we can think about how is really energy the new currency that we're using for our exchanges. We're in a very different place now. We've got a very different conversation going on. So whether it's exchanging money, whether it's barter, exchanging products or, or services or goods of some kind, ultimately what we're exchanging is energy. Wow. So now let me think about, again, we'll go back to a situation at work or with your spouse. What are you doing when you're exchanging energy with your spouse? Right. What are, what's happening between you and this other person? What are you getting? What are you giving? And so as we're dialing into who we are as, as a physical being, as a spiritual being, as we're dialing into the energy that we're giving, we can now create exchanges of energy in a way that's completely beyond money. And that's how transactions can happen between two people. And I can share some marvelous stories of when I was in India where I did just that. Okay, well, why don't you um, give us one of these stories. I, I just want to add something here about the money uh, aspect, which is that it almost 
money is sort of like a a uh, metaphor or symbol of a, a overemphasis on the external. I mm-hmm. mean, I mean, we just we just uh, you know we, you know we started the show by talking about the importance of the of the inner world, about how that's what's important, how the inner creates the outer. The outer is the reflection of the inner, and it's that perception of money that is that is critical to this because money forms such a big part of our lives I, I love the way you reframe it as being trust and, and energy because in my business trust is everything uh, when you hire a professional you are you ba- you you are trusting and, and doctors are the probably the best example when you go into the operating room talking about trust that's that's what it's all about so why don't you give us an example or two as you mentioned uh, from from your experiences in India sure so the first time I was in India as I think most Westerners we are overwhelmed by the amount of begging in the streets right. and we see people with you know arms and legs missing and whatnot and the second time I was in India I made a very conscious decision I was not going to give money I made a conscious decision what I was going to give instead was energy in the form of love. Mm. And because I do Reiki, for me giving energy is is just a very natural way that I can share that energy. So I would have children come up to me begging. I would have strangers on a train platform come up to me begging. And in one instance, I I sat and I held the conscious awareness of God, of, of love emanating from me, surrounding this man on this train platform, just surrounding him in love. And when I opened my eyes, the man just smiled and he turned and he walked away. Yeah. And the coworker who was uh, next to me, my Indian colleague, uh, looked at me and said, what did you do? And I said, I, I gave him love. I gave him energy. And the man, the Indian co-worker said, I want to learn how to do that. Yeah. And I said, yeah, we all need to learn how to do that. Because yeah. ultimately what that man, the beggar, what he wanted was energy. And yeah. I gave that to him. I fed him in a very different way. And he was so full as he just smiled and he walked away. He got he got what he needed. Yeah, it, it basically, it's basically love, which it, it's, a, it's a term that I don't use very much uh, on the show because frankly, I don't understand it. Uh, it's, it's, but, but I think that it is, it really is something that everybody needs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's probably something that that you can't have enough of. So, right. so I think that that is a that's a, a really a really beautiful story. Now, one of the one of the things that that uh, I'm interested in understanding is that you yourself have been on this journey for a number of years since you got your PhD, and it definitely is taking you into a different place than maybe you thought you were going when you entered when you when you entered when you entered your your academic career so i'd like i'd like you just to talk about what what you know looking back what what have been some of your biggest lessons i mean one i just like to hear about you know what has it meant for you because you really you you sort of went off the beaten track there, but it seems like you you really have made the path wider, yeah. deeper. Yeah. So 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 what's so why don't you talk about that a little bit? Sure. Uh, so I think one of the biggest lessons was one we touched on earlier is that we change our world from the inside out. That was huge. Um, understanding that as I let go of my judgments and my resentments and my comparisons, um, I start to let go of a lot of those ego constraints, which for many of us, particularly in our careers, um, our careers, our, our egos make a lot of decisions for us yes. as opposed to this inner guidance or inner wisdom. And so I've had to make a, a two or three key professional decisions that on the outside people would look at me and go what the hell are you doing you know why are you doing this giving up this kind of a job or etc um and so it just kept me it was me dialing inward it was me saying this is my true path 
uh, which was very tough because there were a couple times when I've made those decisions, I had no idea what I was going to be doing professionally, none whatsoever. Uh, and yet things just kept unfolding, things kept emerging, and I kept staying kind of true to that path. So for me, it was also about, um, you know, dancing and dealing with the demons of fear, uh, knowing that as I can keep choosing love, and one of my phrases that I use a lot is walk the path of love, not fear. And as we really get that, as we really get how do we walk the path of love, not fear, we're going to make different choices. And that's certainly been a, a, a big description of my life over the last 25 years of continually walking that path of love, not fear. Yeah, well, I think that your, me- I think your message is, is really powerful. And I think what makes it so strong is that you come from such a strong academic background, having a Ph.D. in management, and you wind up at the place you're at, this, this, uh, this sermon that you or this talk that you heard when you were younger for uh, the woman with talking about the many different uh, names of God I think is a beautiful way to start it and I, I also am optimistic that more and more people uh, are going in that direction the the one thing to sort of cook these together I I've been um, interested in this recent study that says that over a certain amount of money, I forget what it is, $75,000 a year or something like that, that people aren't any happier. Right. That there's, that there's this, and it, I, of course I think it makes it makes a difference where, where what part of the country you're living in, but it's sort of like, you know, um, Maslow, which you also talk about, the, you know, the needs. Once you satisfy those basic needs, then then the rest is sort of up to you. And knowing how to control write your own story is so vitally important and and i i'm i think that we have a lot a lot more work to do in this in this way but to the extent that we take as true the notion that the inner creates the outer and that the inner does control uh, how we perceive things and the and the lives that we lead i think that we have a good chance of succeeding now as we quickly came to the end here come to the end of the show i like to have you maybe leave the listener with a thought or two um in addition to one you've already provided but but you know you have had so many good practical tips and lessons and and experiences i just i think it'd be be nice if you could just tell the listeners a couple things to keep in mind or or um, some some uh, lessons that you've learned over time that are helpful yeah so one of the definitions of faith that's really helped me is faith is going to the edge of what you know and taking one more step yeah so as you're at your growing edge uh, as you're facing maybe something that's really stretching you if you take that one more step in faith and you say I don't know how this is gonna work out you know I can't I, I, I'm, I can't wait to see how spirits gonna work this one out holding that intention knowing that it will work out and that as as you understand yourself to be a conscious creator you feed your energy into the thing that you're trying to shift or change that that faith is gonna carry you an awfully long way that's a really that's a really good that's a really good point there, Linda, and, and uh, I think that that is something that we all need to learn from, which is that we you know we get into this comfort zone, and we don't go outside the bubble, and I think that going beyond is what is what this is all about. Going beyond that that uh, that faith. Now, I'd like to. Uh, have you at least tell folks a little bit about how to learn more about what you're doing and about where to buy your book at. So why don't you do that and then I'll close things off here a little bit. Great. Appreciate that. So my website is www.lindajferguson, F-E-R-G-U-S-O-N, lindajferguson.com. And on that website, there's loads of information. There's information about both books, 
I have some sample meditations and some videos you can see, uh, describe the coaching work that I do. I have an online program that people can download recordings that I've done and get a copy of my book and the study guide to do this, to really make this real in your life. That online program, I think, um, would be very beneficial for you. Both books are available on Amazon. They're both available on iStore, so you can get them as digital um, downloads or as uh, paperbacks. And I look forward to hearing from people. You can email me info, I-N-F-O at lindajferguson.com Well, Linda, it's it's. Uh, I really enjoyed this because I think that uh, the challenge for our time is to do exactly what you're doing, which is to integrate this notion of spirituality into into our daily lives, dispensing with labels and, and making all of this real. This is Philip Camella. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to Conversations Beyond Science and Religion, hosted by Philip Camella. To find out more about Philip and his book, The Collapse of Materialism, visit thecollapseofmaterialism.com. 